Novel Finds Podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. I'm Julia, and today we have an awesome author chat um, with Amanda Elliott, author of Best Served Hot. Uh, hi, Amanda. How are you doing today? Hi, Julia. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this foodie rom-com. When it was pitched to us, I was like, okay, first of all, I, I'm a new romance book lover. So like, it's fun reading these ones. And then also, I just love food. So I was like, sign me up. This is going to be great. Loving food is something we have in common. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about all of the food. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Before we get into the book, would you mind giving us a synopsis and then tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my one-line description of Best Served Hot is that it's my enemies to lovers restaurant reviewer rom-com. I guess it's really more of like a three-word description than a one-line. <laughs> um, but basically, it follows Julie and Bennett, who are two restaurant reviewers. Julie reviews on her social media profile, and Bennett reviews for an old-school newspaper like the New York Times. Um, and they both have very different philosophies towards reviewing and audiences they're reviewing for and, you know, types of places they tend to review for their jobs. Um, and they butt heads a lot. Um, and so naturally, one time they're caught arguing on tape, the video goes viral, and they're forced to collaborate to increase views. And so as they start reviewing together, they realize that maybe they don't hate as, each other as much as they thought, and they might actually have something in common besides their love for food. Um, and so that is Best Served Taught. And my name is Amanda Elliott. I live in New York City. Um, and I like to call Best Served Taught also my love letter to the New York City food scene, um, because all of the restaurants in the book are based on real restaurants, most in New York City. And one of my favorite parts about living here is, you know, all of the restaurants and different cuisines and all these different foods that you can try from like the street carts to stalls at markets to high-end fancy restaurants. Yeah, I love that. I've never actually been to New York, but um, all of the food has me convinced that I think I'd love it. 100%. Yeah. Um, so with all of the food in the book, I read, I think it was in your acknowledgments, some of the stuff was created in your head and some of it was based on like food you've actually had, yes. right? Uh, okay, so two-part question. Of the food that was real in the book, um, what has, what was your favorite? Like, have you eaten all of this? That, that's what I mean by food that's real, <laughs> like food that you've actually eaten that you put in the book. Yeah, so I talk a little bit more about like the specific restaurants that I based food on in the acknowledgments page. And so basically every, every restaurant and every food I featured in the book is something that I loved. Like nothing mm -hmm. was featured in the book because it was mediocre. It was all amazing. And I, well, yeah, all, all of the food in the book <laughs> sounded amazing. I have to say the things that really stand out for me, the things that I have tried for real life, um, I based the clam chowder Julie talks about early on, on the clam chowder at Salty Girl in Boston. It, this was several years ago, and I still remember it because um, they included salsify. Salsify? Salsify? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's like a really kind of like it's a vegetable that you don't typically see in grocery stores because apparently when you ship it, like if it gets bruised or cut, it turns like a really disturbing bright red color. Oh. Um, so it's really hard to kind of like ship it and store it and like sell it in grocery stores. So it's yeah. really kind of like a local food. And so... <clears throat> It actually has kind of like a shellfishy flavor. 
And so I don't think I'd ever had it before, before I had it in that soup. And it was amazing. And now I wish all clam chowders had salsify or salsify in it because it was incredible. So if you're in the Boston area, definitely stop in at Salty Girl and try that chowder. Oh, that's Uh, amazing. Yeah. And the meals, what else have I tried that was delicious? Um, There's this fried tilapia salad. Um, I don't think Julie actually eats it in the book, but she talks about it. Mm -hmm. And in real life, it's from a restaurant called Huggy San in Jackson Heights, Queens. And it is basically a whole fried fish chopped into pieces. The pieces are fried in this really like light, crispy rice batter, put back in the fish. And then it's drenched in this dressing of like fish sauce and lime and something sweet too. It's just like sour and tangy and sweet and amazing. And Mm -hmm. somehow there's some kind of alchemy worked where the dressing totally drenches each piece of fish. And yet somehow it doesn't lose its crunchiness. So it's like really crispy pieces of fish that are still like drenched in this dressing. And then they scatter it with like fresh herbs and onion and like a bunch of fresh stuff. And it's just like some of the best food that I've ever had. That is magic. Like how they keep the crispiness after the liquid being. Yeah. Nope. That's magic. That is magic. Um, Okay. So the second part of this question is of the food that maybe you haven't eaten, but was in the book, what would you like to eat? So that has to be the food at Wander, which is the Jewish restaurant in um, the book. And so if you've read Sadie on a Plate, you'll recognize um, the chef and owner of that restaurant. Um, I won't say more to you know avoid spoilers, mm-hmm. but I'd want to meal, eat all of the, the meals at that restaurant because that was not based on real life. That was based on some recipes from the first book and um, some from my head, but I would love to mm-hmm. eat those in real life. Yeah, I was going to say the latkes that were on on the menu they that's where I tagged it I was like I'm gonna dog ear this because I want to read all this description about these yeah potatoes are basically the perfect food like you can make them into latkes you can make them into french fries potato chips mashed potatoes like just any use of potato is basically perfect oh I agree that and then bread bread might be also excellent perfect yes (laughs) (laughs) the food aside which is amazing. You also get into kind of like the the wealth inequality um, in, between people like the ultra rich and then people that like they're not poor. It's just like middle class regular income because Julie is the personal assistant for an ultra rich man. What made you want to get into that? So again, I think living in New York City like it's such a small place geographically, like Manhattan, that's only like what, like a few square miles, but you've basically got every strata of income mm-hmm. crammed into this like tiny island. And so I saw it firsthand um, when I was temping, I did a bunch of temp jobs in between, you know, leaving my full-time job and writing full-time. And one of those temp jobs was temping for a retired billionaire, former CEO. Julie's office is actually based on his real office. It was incredible. I wish I could live there. Oh my gosh. Um, and um, it was just pretty, like, again, he was always very nice to me. Like, mm-hmm. everyone in that office was really nice, but it was just something wild about being paid like $17 an hour to sit there and file these receipts for private plane flights that cost more than I made in a year. And I'm like, yeah. this is so, you know, you deciding to fly somewhere on a whim and you're just, you know, this is your private jet. And, you know, our lives are just so different. Like, we're in the same office and yet we live such different lifestyles. And so that's ultimately what inspired. Julie's um, job and kind of like the looking at wealth inequality um, in her life. Yeah. 
I mean, also, like, just if he's a retired billionaire, what he can afford more than $17 an hour. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where I would be like, hmm, okay. But I definitely saw where Julie was coming from. And I loved that, um, like, the daughter of her boss kind of bridged the gap a little bit. And I, re- I really liked their dynamic and her arc throughout the book. Um, Thank you. But, I loved writing her. Yeah. Yeah. She was so fun. <laughs> I mean, it was so, so funny whenever she popped up. Cause I think like for me, it just seemed like she came to the office to hang out with Julie. Like it, she didn't actually need to do anything. She just want, had a friend and she thought Julie was friends, but then they have this whole thing like partway through the book. It was, it was very interwoven and I liked it a lot thank you yeah she actually started off as a villain in like the first couple drafts yeah. and then read back and we're like do you have to make her a villain like I really like her <laughs> um, and I was like no I really like her too maybe she doesn't need to be a villain well I mean she isn't necessarily a villain but she does have like her moments which aren't necessarily villainous but they're villainous by what what ignorance I guess well, I guess like I, I separated as in the first couple drafts, she was like, you know, intentionally villainous. And I guess there the, you go. Right now she's like sometimes kind of just like, yeah, like villainous by ignorance, like you said. Yeah, yeah. But not intentionally. No, not at all. I would never actually think she is intentionally villainous. So <laughs> it was a solid suggestion. But um like would you mind telling me what what something she intentionally did as a villain in previous drafts? So in a previous draft if I'm remembering correctly, she actually had a crush on Bennett um, and she, she tried to sabotage Julian. So she was actually the one who, well, I don't want to say spoilers, but there are some things in the book that kind of happen in mm-hmm. other ways, but in the original drafts, they, it was her doing those things. So she was uh, trying to sabotage Julian Bennett. And now, of course, in the current, in the, the final version, like she's actually actively trying to get them together, which I like. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved the things that she intentionally tried to do. She's like, I'm so smooth. And really, it just (laughs) like we could see it. And I think Bennett could see it, but Julie couldn't. And I thought that was the funniest thing. (laughs) Um, So would you say that she was your favorite character to write? Or I think she was probably my favorite character to write. Like I, th- I had yeah. the most fun with her. I don't, I don't think she's the person I'd want to hang out with probably in real life the most. But like as far as like writing her and like her dialogue and stuff, like I had the most fun with her. I think. All right, all right. And do you, do you ever? I mean, I know a lot of authors put like elements of themselves into all of their characters. But are there any characters, or is there one specific one in Best Served Hot that you relate to the most? especially like I think there's definitely parts of Julie that I relate to because I gave her that job that I'd had although she's not temping it's her you know her permanent job and I really Mm -hmm. relate you know as a writer who is temping while trying to like you know make my writing dream succeed I really related to her you know her dreams might have been different she might have been dreaming of being a restaurant reviewer but like I still related to that um that need of like oh I have to like do the you know work the nine to five and then, you know, spend all my off hours trying to make this other thing happen. Yeah, it's tough. It That's a hard thing to do. Um, so anyone doing that grind is just so impressive to me. And I mean, it's great. Now you're a full-time author, right? Yeah, for the most so, part. That's super cool. <laughs> uh, you did it. That's Yay. always that's always <laughs> awesome. Um, do you have a favorite line or section of the book that you'd like to share? 
So I think my favorite, I don't know if this is a specific favorite line, but as far as favorite section, I really love that part in any kind of enemies to lovers or rivals to lovers relationship where they kind of have that realization in their head, like, oh, like maybe they're not as terrible as I thought. Uh-huh. Like, and I still don't like them. No, like definitely not. I'm definitely not <laughs> having feelings for them, but like, but maybe they're not like evil incarnate. Right. And maybe so, they're not that bad. Yeah, exactly. So I think my favorite part of this book is that restaurant meal where Julie and Bennett are having, um, you know, they've, they've buried the hatchet a little bit and are able mm-hmm. to be civil with each other at the table. And like, he opens up a little bit and she opens up a little bit. And it's basically that moment where she's like, well, maybe he's not the devil. No, he's mm-hmm. definitely the devil, but maybe, you know, maybe the devil's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, I, is this the same restaurant that he showed up without glasses on? Yeah, stop that scene. Yeah, I, I was like, this sounds I, that was really <laughs> funny. He just, Thank I don't you. even understand how he got there. I'm sure, well, his glasses were in his pocket, weren't yeah, they? That's what I figured. Um, I imagine he like got there with his glasses on, then he took his glasses off, put them in his pocket and went in. Yeah, and like couldn't see anything. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even attempt to do that. That's just insane. <laughs> but it was so funny to me as someone that can't see without glasses or contacts, just imagining like sitting with the menu inches from my face, <laughs> trying <laughs> to disguise myself. Oh, it was hilarious. So um, what was your favorite romance theme to put into Best Served Hot? Was it the rivals to friends to lovers one? Or is there like a little one that you snuck in there that you're just like, ooh, this one? No, Enemies to Lovers is my favorite. Um, although I do love it. Like, you know, I do love it. Like, I don't even know if this counts as a theme, but like, like learn, like, when they, you know, when they pretend to do, they, you know, they pretend they can do something really well and the other one bluffs and they just like kind of keep out bluffing each other. Oh, yeah. And then of course they all realize that they were bluffing. It all kind of falls flat around them. Um, I like that. That's another, that's a trope I love. I don't know if there's actually a name for it, but. I don't know, but it is a really fun thing when, when they just like try to, the dares, like I dare yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. And they just can't handle it. Is, um. So I really love enemies to lovers. That's probably my favorite trope. Is that your favorite as well? Yeah. Enemies to lovers and rivals to lovers. Like I eat them up. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what's your favorite book that you've read that has enemies to lovers in it? Oh my gosh. I'm um, sorry. That's a hard I'm one. The um, do they have to be like strict enemies or can it just be like, you know, starting from a place of, you know, distrust or rivalry? No, they don't have to be enemies. It can be rivalry. I would say maybe Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Lucy Thompson, um, where they're not exactly enemies at first, but she starts out thinking that he's a serial killer. Yeah. Which I think, like, kind of, I think counts. Um, but I love that book. Oh, my gosh. I love, I like, the too. dark humor and, like, you know, the, the damaged people healing. And oh. I, I love that book. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to, like, send Alicia um, an Instagram message and be like, hey, <laughs> we talked about you. Um, she, she knows I love her and her book. I talked to her last season about Love in the Time of Serial Killers and have just like followed her religiously since then because she posts so much cool stuff. Um, yes, that is an excellent choice. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> um, so getting back to your book, Best Served Hot, the foodie rom-com that also has rivals to lovers, which is spicy and excellent. Um, 
<laughs> Spicy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, when you started the process for it, what came first in terms of story? Uh, did you have it all planned out or are you one of the people that just writes and whatever comes out, comes out? So I'm, I'm a pretty avid reader of like kind of food blogs and food media and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been picking up, there's like this tension goat that happens between kind of like, um, you know, the restaurant reviewers that review on like TikTok or Instagram or blogs or wherever, and, you know, the New York times and Washington Post and, Mm -hmm. you know, other like eater reviewers. And so I think it's the same as in kind of like all kinds of jobs in media right now where like people are getting their news from TikTok and not from like, you know, newspapers or the the TV news. Um, And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of tension in between like those two things. Um, And I thought, I think it's interesting too, looking at, you know, the type of people who are reviewing on social media versus like the traditional outlets and the kinds of food that they review. Because, you know, the people who are reviewing in social media tends to be more women, they tend to be younger, there are more people of color, they're reviewing like a wider range of restaurants, um, versus like kind of the traditional outlets, which are reviewing still, you know, and they've broadened their reach a lot, I think, at least the ones I read in the last several years, where they aren't only reviewing kind of like the high end fancy restaurants, like chefs by, you know, old white men. Mm-hmm. But um, it's still a lot of those, like the reviewers are still mostly older, mostly men, mostly white. And so I thought it was really interesting. It would be really interesting to look at the tension between those two and how that tension could turn into a romance. And so Julian Bennett kind of stemmed from there. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, Julie makes those points too in the book and they're very valid points. Um, I do appreciate that Bennett is not an old white man. He is a young white man, which was them like, Try to take to, some liberties to, yeah. you know, to, to well, have just, a good romance. It's, it was just funny because, like, the company is trying to do better and, like, diversify. So instead of getting a middle-aged man, they get a millennial <laughs> instead, um, which is so funny. When you are writing, because you are a full-time author, what is a day in the life look like for you? Or what does it look like for you when you're working on your latest project? Yeah. So, I mean, it varies day by day. I'm usually working on more than one project at once. Mm-hmm. So I try and divide my day up based on, um, you know, on the different projects. So let's say I'm working on two things at once. Um, so I try and wake up in the morning and then I do like whatever needs the most kind of like brain space first thing in the morning. Cause that's when I have, like, I do my best work, I think, mm-hmm. or at least more, most like, you know, time brain consuming work. Yeah. Yeah. If that's, if that's a word. No, so I, I try you. and do like, so usually if I'm drafting, I'll like draft first thing in the morning. So I'll draft in the morning for like an hour or two. Then I usually try and exercise, like go for a walk or ride the stationary bike. Then after that, I'll do some more work. Like that's kind of like, like an hour period where like, I'll try and do miscellaneous stuff that like, you know, might just be like a bunch of little tasks, um, like answering questionnaires or like, you know, responding to emails or things like that. Mm-hmm. And I have lunch and then the afternoon is kind of like my other chunk of time. So maybe I'll take, if I'm doing like edits on a second project, that's when I'll do like my edits for the second project. And then usually in later afternoon, there'll be like another hour for kind of miscellaneous emails or whatever. And then yeah, the day is over. I try and finish like around like the end of a normal day. Cause I think working from home and for yourself, it's really easy to let yourself kind of just keep working and burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to try and make myself like stop by like, you know, five or six and unless like, you know, I'm on a 
deadline or like there's something I really need to do later that night, um, I try and stop working by then. Yeah. And was this something that was like a learning curve or did you just, you are already went in knowing that you wanted to, to make sure you had that work-life balance? It was definitely a learning curve because I think again, like starting off, it's really easy to be like, well, you know, I'm working for myself. I'm working here. So I can just work all the time. I can just keep working and like, you know, write extra. And then, but then again, it's really easy to burn yourself out. And then, you know, so I learned like, you know, my, usually my drafting limit is about 2000 words a day and I can do more. Like I've written like, you know, four or 5,000 words a day, but then I burn myself out pretty quickly. And like, then mm-hmm. I can't write for like a week. So I've yeah. learned it's better to kind of do like, you know, set a schedule and do steady work rather than just trying to like, really like get it all out at once. And that works for yeah. some people. Like I've seen, I've seen like people with envy, like write like two that 10,000 words a day or something like that. And they can just do that indefinitely. And that's amazing, but it doesn't work for me. Yeah. That sounds like insanity. That that's a lot. Um, what do you do when, like, if you hit that burnout period, what revitalizes, uh, the well for you? Actually consuming, like, you know, reading, watching TV, even just taking a walk, like in silence, letting myself think, just kind mm-hmm. of like refilling the creative well and not forcing myself to kind of pound out words. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so do you have any authors who have really inspired you throughout your life? So many. Um, I mean, the authors I really, I'm like, there are so many authors I admire. I could not name them all. But as far as authors who like, I think deserve a special shout out and the authors I admire lists are the people who you know, didn't start out as huge bestsellers, but kind of like, you know, plugged away and plugged away and really hit mm-hmm. it maybe on like their fifth book or their sixth book and like, you know, diversified among multiple age groups. And I'm really impressed by those people. So I'd say like V.E. Schwab is one of them. Um, I like I'm really impressed her by, by her, and her, like her work ethic. And I think she's amazing. And I love her books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually, I have one of her books on my TBR, um, the archived duology. Have you read that? I read that like a long time ago, back when it first came out, but I feel like I should revisit it. Yeah, I I have not read it before, but I saw it in like the duology form. And so I was like, huh, maybe I'll put that. And recently, like it popped into my head again. And I was like, I think I need to read that. You know, you know, sometimes yeah. when the vibe is just like poking at this book and you're like, I don't know why it's poking at this book, but let's do it. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite V.E. Schwab book? Um. Oh man. I mean, I love them all. I think like I haven't disliked any that I've read. Right. But I think my favorite, I tend to like gravitate more towards her adult books. I think mm-hmm. um, probably The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Um, That's so good. I think it's really dreamy and fun, but I really love the A Darker Shade of Magic series too. Yes. Oh my gosh. Are you so excited for her sequel series of that to come out? I can't wait. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take us on a V.E. Schwab tangent. <laughs> I just love V. Um, so before I rudely interrupted you to talk about V.E. Schwab, do you have any other authors that have really inspired you? I've been so many. I yeah. Just, I don't know if I can even pull any out. Like V.E. Yeah. Schwab is the one that always sticks out in my mind for like having that career track that I really admire and kind of like, you know, hope for one day. Yeah. And she's someone that... I don't, I mean, she doesn't draft 5,000 words a day, I don't think, but she does definitely have like her routine of the day and that, that works for her. And it's really cool. Yeah. And I really admire how open she gets about all of it on Instagram too. Oh, me too. And all of her like mental health 
advice and just like being open about, you know, hit burnout. We're going to spend two yeah. days doing anything. And I was like, you do that. You do that. Um, like just fully support taking care of yourself. So it's, it's excellent. Um, okay. So we're coming to possibly the hardest question in this whole chat. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your all-time favorite book? Um, so I'm going to cheat and say okay. I don't have one because <laughs> I think that's an impossible question. It is. <laughs> um, there's so many books I love. Um, so I'll say some of my recent favorite books Okay. Um, that people who I, that, who I think like enjoy Best Served Hot or think Best Served Hot sounds interesting would enjoy uh-huh. are basically all of Rachel and Solomon's books. I've loved every single one of them that I've read. Um, a special shout out to her most recent adult one, Weather Girl, um, which is about um, two co-workers who try and get their divorced bosses back together. So, you know, their tempestuous workplace will calm down um, and, of course, end up falling in love themselves. Naturally. Um, so I really love that. Um, and all of her other books, too. All of them I, I recommend. Um, another absolute favorite that um, I loved recently is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Um, and so that, it's not a romance per se. It's kind of like a found family romance, um, but it's about like, with some murder in it. Okay. Um, but it's about like a lonely little old lady who finds a body in her, her failing tea shop. And she decides that she's going to solve the murder herself um, because she really like, she's got nothing else and she's oh. lonely and <laughs> and then she just ends up assembling this whole found family of the suspects while she's investigating the murder and it's just it's hilarious it is like one of the funniest things that I've ever read and I loved every second of it and the ending was both like surprising and just like just delightful it was just a, a delightful wonderful book that I just I fell in love with oh my gosh that sounds like a delightful book I'm gonna have to look that up <laughs> Yeah, and again, all of her other books too, like the Dial A for Auntie series is also just excellent. Mm-hmm. But I just really love Vera Wong. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, are there any others you want to throw out there? I mean, I could just continue throwing out books like all day. That's fair. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Well, that being said, um, do you have any final thoughts about Best Served Hot or about anything that we've talked about? I just, if you read it, I'd love to hear from readers about it. So um, yeah, hit me up on, I'm most active on Instagram these days um, at Amanda Panich, P-A-N-I-T-C-H. And I have a newsletter on my website that you can sign up for. Um, It's amandapanich.com. And um, I promise I'm not like annoying or spammy with my newsletters. um, But, you know, when I have something new coming out or I'm sending, you know, have sold a new book, that's where you'll hear about it first. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Um, thank well, you. thank yeah, thank you for coming on to the show. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you about this, and I really hope everyone finds this book and loves it and all of the food stuff, um, and just wants to go to New York as much as I do now. <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me too. Like I really enjoyed being here. Well, we heckin' did it, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, share it with your other bookish friends and family members. And if your podcast app has ratings, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I'm off to read the next book in Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events for my monthly Patreon series, A Summary of Unfortunate Events, which is a middle-of-the-pool dive into the series we all know and love. 
And if you'd like to hear it, subscribe to our Patreon by following the link in the Novel Finds bio on Instagram, which you should totally be following if you're not already. Thanks again for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.